This is Crosscut Reports. I'm Sarah Bernard. Today, we dive into the ongoing battle over book banning in schools and libraries. Around the country, efforts to ban specific books or even whole categories of books are on the rise. This politically charged fight has been gaining momentum in recent years as parents and community members increasingly call to remove young adult books from the shelves, specifically titles that address race or LGBTQ issues. And as freelance reporter Meg Butterworth found, in one corner of Washington state, this fight could end up dissolving an entire library system. The Columbia County Rural Library District could be no more, thanks to a petition that's putting the question on the county's November ballot. So this episode, we take a look at what's happening in Columbia County and what it signals for the rest of the state and the country about political polarization, censorship, and what, in the end, we want our public libraries to be. Well, we want to turn now to the sharp rise in book bans in America's schools and libraries. Public libraries across the U.S. are being challenged on funding and censorship. Some state legislators are passing new laws that critics say will politicize libraries like... So, Meg, this fight over books, which books are available or not for young people in schools and libraries, it's this kind of gigantic battle that's been pretty much raging in the country, across the country in the past few years. His targets include books that, quote, convey that a student by virtue of their race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive. I mean, I certainly have been hearing a lot of stories about this from all over the country. The majority of the books being challenged have LGBTQ characters and stories. But what you found was in some ways kind of even more dramatic than the banning of a single book is this potential dissolution of an entire library system. So... Just to get started, can you tell me, how did you first find out about what was going on in Columbia County, Washington? Like, how did that get on your radar? Well, like you, I've been following coverage about the increase in book bans and challenges across the country. I wanted to get a better handle on, well, what's happening here in our state, in in Washington? And I also was really interested in learning more about public libraries specifically. There's been coverage on um, school districts and, and libraries within school districts. So I was curious about what about our, our public libraries. And I really did want to speak to librarians who are on the front lines and uh, what has been their experience recently. Um, what are they hearing from their community members who might be raising concerns about books within their collection? And how are they responding to that? And so I started talking to lots of folks, uh, folks at Seattle Public Library, and I spoke with the Washington State uh, librarian and some faculty members at the UW, got the master's program for um, library and information sciences. And they all kept raising in the conversations I've ha- I had with them was, you know, something's going on out in Columbia County, and um, you should you should look into that. Wow. So you're talking to all these different people in the field who are saying something is going on there. And so let's kind of dig in. How did this whole thing get started there in particular? First of all, I should just say Columbia County is a small county in eastern Washington. Um, it's kind of it's tucked in between Walla Walla County and Garfield County on the Oregon border. And it has a population of around 4,000 people. So it's quite small. And um, it has one library building for the whole county. I had the pleasure of speaking with the former uh, director for the library district, Todd Vandenberg. And according to him, things 
really started to get underway out there uh, after Pride Month of 2022. The library, in honor of Pride Month, displayed a handful of books around the library written by authors who identify as LGBTQ plus and covering topics around that issue, as well as a few BIPOC authors as well. And an individual from the community at some point during that time went into the library and took photos, images of the covers of these books, and then kind of photoshopped them and posted the photoshopped images onto a community Facebook page for Dayton. Dayton is one of two big towns within the county. The library board at their August board meeting a couple of members from the community attended that meeting and they raised concerns about about six books that were in the library's collection, all of which had to deal with LGBTQ plus topics um, and or race relations. Sounds very familiar. And um, per the library's policy, which is true for for most libraries, um, you know, they have a policy to respond to community concerns about book titles. Community members were asked to fill out what's called a request for reconsideration form and, and submit it to the library director, um, Todd Vandenberg. After that August meeting, Todd Vandenberg became aware of the Facebook posts. He hadn't even been aware of the Facebook post. And by that time, comments had been, po- had been posted and many of the comments were quite threatening to Vandenberg, his staff, and the board, and references were made, calling them pedophiles and groomers. Um, there was even one person commented that they thought that Vandenberg and his staff should be put in prison and should be pushing daisies up from the roots. Wow. More and more librarians feel like they are in the crosshairs and have come under increased scrutiny for what's on the shelves. Who recently had to close the library early due to unspecified concerns for staff safety. People in my profession are called pedophiles and like these horrible, horrible things. She was targeted online and singled out by conservative groups suggesting she was using literature to groom children. A few folks from the community did actually come into the library and meet in person with Todd Vandenberg to express their concerns. Um, And he said it was it was clear to him that no dialogue was going to take place, that these individuals really just wanted to come in and, and convince him. When one of the individuals was asked, well, you know, what is it that you don't like about these books? His response in reference to one book that dealt with um, the issues of race and race relations, it's called Our Skin by Megan Madison. And his response was that he felt it would make his daughter feel bad about being white. Yeah, which that also sounds familiar. That's kind of a theme that you'll notice in a lot of these stories and these conversations around the country. If we talk about race, then my, you know, white child might feel bad. I don't want my daughter growing up feeling guilty because she's white. Yeah, and, and I, I should say, just kind of pulling back from this very specific example, largely across the country, what we've been seeing in the past, I mean, really, just within the past two years, um, this, this dramatic rise in book bans has been occurring. And the majority of the titles 
deal with LGBTQ plus issues um, and or race relations. States are buckling down on their restrictions of certain books, saying that they contain sexually explicit content, LGBTQ themes and racial inequality. Yeah, I mean, we could maybe take a moment and zoom out to that, because I think that's, you know, some of the reporting that you've done looks at both this local story in eastern Washington, southeastern Washington, and also really what's been happening across the country and across the state. Yeah. Washington state, compared to other states, is not seeing a tremendous amount of book bans. But we have, in the past few years, seen a rise. The number of titles challenged has risen from 10, a total of 10 in 2017, to 42 in 2021. Nationally, the American Library Association did just recently come out with a new report and reported that there were 1,269 demands to censor library books and resources in 2022. That number is nearly double the 729 books the American Library Association reported for 2021. The public school libraries are experiencing the same. According to PEN America, from July of 2021 through March of 2022, there were nearly 1,600 actions taken in school districts to ban more than 1,100 titles. Right. It's like you have these anecdotal stories of community members coming forward to challenge these titles, but in some cases it's a little bit more organized even, right? It is organized. And it used to be that when titles within a library's collection were challenged, it would be one single book title. And it seems like more and more people are voicing concerns or filing complaints over multiple book titles, not just one. It's a campaign largely led or fed (laughs) through social media, social media that is being put out there by organized groups. One of the big groups today uh, is Moms for Liberty. Moms for Liberty. Moms for Liberty is a conservative group known as Moms for Liberty. They haven't been around for long. They launched in 2021. And actually, the group really formed in response to COVID and mask mandates. And in that short period of time, they have spread rapidly. Moms for Liberty has swelled to more than 85,000 members with chapters in 42 states. If you go on the Moms for Liberty website and they have a map of where all, all of their branches are for Washington state, they show that they have nine chapters. Wow. The Southern Poverty Law Center actually does refer to them as an extremist group, an anti-government extremist group. The 14 chapters in Florida are listed on SPLC's hate map. The SPLC is a watchdog group known for identifying what they deem as hate and extremism in the United States. Um, the Washington Post did a, a study, really, of their own, and they found that the majority of the book bans that have been filed came from 11 individuals. I think one of those individuals filed like 96, a ban for 96 titles. And another one of those individuals, according to the Washington Post, was a member of a Monster Liberty chapter. Another kind of red flag is that the majority of the book titles that people are asking or calling to be banned are all the same. Mm, the same books. <laughs> they're, they're, they're pooling from a, a list that has been created. Ah, it's like a circulation of a, of a list of books. 
Nationally, wow. And some of the books that were called to be banned in Columbia County were the same book titles that you see that are being called to be banned in, in, in other locations around the country. Wow. Okay, yeah. How did it get from, you know, people voicing concern over specific titles to let's close the whole library? So by September, you know, the Facebook posts had really gotten out there. A lot of members of this community had seen it, and it really, you know, hit a nerve with a lot of folks. Per this Facebook post, people in the community were under the impression that books on LGBTQ plus subject matters were being housed within the children's section, which was not true. So there was misinformation that was being spread through social media, through this community, something that we are all familiar with. That's right. And Todd Vandenbrock did again review the library's request for reconsideration procedure, and he did find that when folks did mail in those forms, a lot of them, folks did not specify specific titles and did not specify reasons for why they wanted the books removed. By the end of the year, by the December board meeting, the board voted to not remove any books from the library and that the the books would remain in the library's collection. So then by January of 2023, a member of the community decided to submit an appeal to the board and specifically focusing on they wanted to specifically remove the book What's the Tea by Juno Dawson. And that's a book for teenagers about uh, transgender and non-binary issues. The board did ask people who were present to please raise their hands if they had actually read the book. Nobody raised their hands. A vote was taken by the board, and four of the five board members voted to deny the appeal by this individual. All right. So basically, people brought concerns. Um, There were some public meetings. There were some forms filed, but there just wasn't a lot of evidence. So the board is saying, you know— we're just really not seeing the evidence here. So we're just going to retain our collection as it is. And that happens a couple times. And so then... So then another member from the community, Jessica Refcorn, decides to create a petition to dissolve the library district. And I was not able to interview her. I reached out to her and I did not hear a response. And indeed, the petition had enough signatures. So... Voters in that community can actually decide if they want to keep their library district. I should mention that Todd Vandenbark, he resigned in in June. It was a very stressful experience, and he resigned. He has since moved on um, to a larger library district. I mean, one thing that struck me from your reporting is that someone you spoke with at the University of Washington's Master's in uh, Library Science program said all librarians recognize each other as fellow warriors. I wonder if you could tell me more about that conversation. Like, did that feeling of being a warrior, the way that she described it, is that something that that is new? Um, Or does that feel like particularly acute right now? Is that, was that the context? I think the short answer is that it feels particularly acute right now. So I spoke with Cindy Aiden. She's actually the chair for the master's program of library and information science. And I think she really was pointing to the fact that now more so than ever, 
Her colleague, Helene Williams, also said that, you know, look, this is a profession that is, it's labor intensive. It's emotionally exhausting, especially now. They said that they really started noticing changes going back to 2016 to the election. And since 2016, it's definitely been a topic of conversation amongst faculty members and students and just professionals in the field and has caused them, you know, at the the UW's program to think more about um, what they're offering in their curriculum and how they are addressing the possibility that these new professionals going into the field will encounter calls for book bans from their community members and, and just how to prepare them for that. The university's program is also focusing on trying to remind its students to take care of themselves and to take care of each other. And they have a mentoring program, actually. So, yeah, there's a mental health component to this. One of the questions I did ask um, the folks at the UW was, well, given the current climate here and how you could argue that public libraries have become politicized, has the school, has the UW in particular, experienced a decline in enrollment into the master's program? And they said no. They actually experienced an increase, an upswing in enrollment, especially in the wake of the killing of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests that occurred in 2020. Helene Williams actually said, she's the faculty member, said that we brought in so many new students, it caused us to go on teaching overload for the next couple of years. And she and her colleague, um, Cindy Aiden, feel like because of everything that was going on at that time, that people were beginning to understand that libraries are in a a unique position to address the issues of of racism, inequities, accessibility, um, humanity, you know, that there is um, social justice work that goes on. Mm. It sounds like on the conservative side of things, you have this very politicized, highly organized campaign to censor certain books that talk about race, that talk about LGBTQ issues. But maybe there's also... This other force you've described going on that maybe there are also people who are wanting to fight against censorship. Well, you can see that. You could take that to a larger scale and say, well, look at what Brooklyn Public Library has done and Seattle Public Library has done by joining the Books Unbanned initiative. Books Unbanned program now allowing teens from across the country to access their online books and audiobooks with a free membership. So for Seattle Public Library, their Books Unbanned program is open to any resident in the country. They can apply for a Seattle Public Library card and uh, check out any materials from the library's uh, e-books or audiobooks collection. This is for folks living in the U.S. between the ages of 13 and 26. It just was launched in April of this year, and since April, they've had 3,642 people sign up from every state in the U.S., including Puerto Rico. Wow. And certainly... Columbia County Rural Library District has promoted the Seattle Books Unbanned program. You know, something I've been thinking about big picture about your reporting is that libraries are, there are kind of a lot of things all at once, you know, in many, in many cases. They're disseminators of information, curators, you know, places for the exchange of ideas, you know. And they're also community hubs. They're also places where, for example, 
kids can go after school or community events can take place or people who experience homelessness and need a place to go for a few hours or, I mean, there's just like so many things that a library does. All of that is lost when a library is closed. I mean, what do you think this would signal if this does go through in November, if this library is in fact closed? Yeah, it's a really thought-provoking question. In this library in particular, I mean, Todd Vandenberg described it as a gem of a rural library system. Even though it just had one building for the, the county, that building really did serve as kind of a community hub. They, the library hosts several events, public free events, speakers coming in to talk about a wide array of topics, um, just gatherings. So the building will not be used in that manner anymore should the library district become dissolved. So that's a, that's a big question mark. But that possibility of losing that physical space, and physical spaces are really important, especially in our world today, where it's easy to just dismiss them, right? That's a big question that this community needs to figure out. You know, this is definitely something for other communities to pay attention to and really ask themselves, how much do they benefit from their public library? Because it's not... Yeah, it's not just books. It's also a reminder of what intellectual freedom means um, to a community. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Meg Butterworth and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. The story editor was Steve Mullis. Our executive producer is Sarah Menzies. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the video docu-series we stream every week, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. That's also where you'll find a text version of the story we discussed today. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.